Now the sixth chapter of Galatians, beginning of verse 6. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. There are certain laws that are permanently fixed. They're set in motion, and God Himself does not alter them or change them or interrupt them. The law of gravity is a law that um, is set in motion, and God does not interrupt it. No matter how you might try to um, you know, make up for jumping off a 10-story building halfway down by all kinds of prayer, it's not going to change that law of gravity. And uh, really, um, you're not breaking the law of gravity, you're breaking yourself you know, on the law. Some of these laws have to do with good health. For example, our bodies need certain, a certain amount of nourishment and, and uh, rest and uh, exercise and socially, they need a certain amount of contact with other people in order to be healthy. And if you break one or more of those laws, you'll suffer for that. And nothing can you know, make up for it. No amount of prayer or Bible study or spiritual activity is going to change that. Louis Perry Schaefer used to say that sometimes a good night's rest is better than two more hours in prayer. Habits are fixed and are, are unalterable. If you abuse drugs, it's going to destroy your brain, your mind. And one day you may come to the realization of that, and you want to reverse that. And no amount of repentance or prayer is going to change that. Um, so habits are fixed. If a person isolates himself and he fills his mind with pornography, sooner or later he'll suffer as the result of that, and no amount of prayer or spiritual activity will alter or change it. We're talking about the, the law of cause and effect, the law of action and reaction. Um, he had been good all day, and so his mother told him he could go to town, go down to the store and get an ice cream. He had on this real clean white t-shirt and white shorts and blue and white tennis shoes, and he went skipping down to the ice cream store, and he walked in, he got him a double-dip chocolate ice cream cone. And as he walked out the door of the ice cream parlor, he stumbled on a crack and lost that precious cargo and a dog was there and ate it before he could gather it back up on his cone. So he kicked the dog, and the dog bit him in a logical place. 
And he started running, and the dog started chasing him, and it chased him for a while, and then the dog decided to give up, and the little boy discovered that he was in, 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 in uh, uh, unfamiliar territory. He was lost. So here's the picture. You get this nice-looking young man, clean and happy, with such a great day ahead of him, and it turns into this dirty, crying boy who is lost with a hole in his pants. We're talking about the reaction that comes with every action. And we're talking about the fact that there is a result to everything someone does. There are laws that are not um, altered or changed or interrupted, not even by God Himself. It's called the law of the harvest. Now, I spent a long time, a great part of my life on a farm, and there are four basic laws of the harvest. I want you to jot these down. One of them is, is that we reap in the same kind as we plant. We reap in the same kind as we plant. Now, it doesn't take a Ph.D. in horticulture to know that if he plants sunflower seeds, he's not going to get roses. And if he plants watermelon seed, if he gets anything at all, it'll be watermelon. It won't be orange trees. For we always reap in the same kind that we, heart, that we plant. And Job 4.8 says, According to what I have seen, he who plows iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. So that we harvest in the same kind that we plant. Second, we reap in different seasons than we plant. We reap in different seasons than we plant. The harvest season eventually follows the planting season, but it does not occur simultaneously with the planting. So it may be that there is a long period of time after the planting for some people to reap the harvest, both good and bad. The reaping comes after the planting. Number three, we reap more than we plant. So that if you plant a tiny seed, a watermelon seed, what you reap are many seeds. And if you plant one tiny sunflower seed, you get this plant that, that produces many seeds. The implication is is that if you reap one act that is wrong, you, if you sow one act that is wrong, plant one act that is wrong, you may reap hundreds of wrong. But if you plant one act that is kind and generous and good, you will reap hundreds of kindnesses and good. Number four, we can do nothing about last year's harvest but you can do something about this year's harvest. I don't know anybody who would not like to get out on Fantasy Island and go back and undo some of the past. And some of the reaping that we have to do is the consequence of something that we have done in the past. We'd love to change, but we can't. You cannot undo the past but you can affect what you're going to harvest in the future this year. Now, 
I want to draw a spiritual analogy to this because this is what the Apostle is doing in Galatians 6. And the spiritual analogy is this, that whatever you put into the soil of life bears the same result. Whatever you plant in the soil of life bears that same result. Now we are people who live in a culture that likes to draw the bottom line and get a cost production um, uh, decree from it. We like to, we like, we're pragmatic and we, we look toward the harvest and we like to, we have all these dreams and visions of what we'd like to see happen or what we'd like to have produced. But the only way that we're ever going to draw the bottom line and get back what we want is that we have planted that. I'd like to be slim and trim. I was slim and trim one time. I think I was six years old, and I, I was slim and trim. And I can sit in front of the television and see all these, uh, you know, all these uh, uh, yuppies that are slim and you know, handsome and trim and muscular. And I wish, and I do wish, man, if I could just look like that. If I could just wear a size 32 pant one more time. I understand that I can look, I can wish for that, and I can dream that, and I can, and I can hope for that, but it will never happen until I plant that kind of seed that will produce that. That is true in the spiritual life. And you and I can wish and dream and, and, and hope and, and, and desire to, to, to be a spiritual giant and to walk with the Lord. The only way that's ever going to happen is that you plant that seed in the soil of life. Now Galatians 6 draws on the analogy of the harvest more than once. Paul is talking to Christians in Galatians about their relationship to those who teach Scripture in verse 6. And he's talking about pastors and teachers, or pastor-teachers. And he's talking about your relationship to those who teach the Scripture, whether it's a, a pastor or missionary or an evangelist or whatever. Now watch this carefully. And these verses are addressed to the listeners. And they're told, that is, the listeners of those who teach Scripture are told to share good things with those who teach. Now, uh, you say, well, now wait a minute. How, how, you know, we're getting into this, do not be deceived, God is not more. Let me tell you something. In the immediate context right here, he's talking about the law of the harvest as it relates to your relationship to those who teach Scripture, pastor, teacher. And he is asserting, he's talking about the right to earn a living in the gospel ministry, strangely enough. Now I feel somewhat uncomfortable about talking to you about this passage, but we're here in the scripture working all the way down. And he's talking about tonight the right of a minister to earn a living in the gospel ministry. In fact, he makes that perfectly and abundantly clear in the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. I want you to turn back to that. 
chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. I'm going to begin reading in, in verse 3. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, have a family, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the, weather to, and the thresher to thresh in the hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, it is, is it too much? If we should reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this light, but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share with the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And what he's saying is this. Is it, is it too much to ask of a person who is being taught to share what all the good things that he has with the person who has committed his life to the teaching? And the implication, the obvious answer is no, it's not too much to ask. Now let me say parenthetically that we're living in a time of, of abuse. I'm telling you, um, I'm sure many of you have read Warren Wiersbe's book, The Integrity Crisis. It gets right to the heart of the problem that exists, and, you know, and uh, especially media um, a ministry. A need in some cases there is a gigantic ripoff going on, and these people are are absolute con artists. But be careful. By the way, I'm sure that that if Gallup took a poll of the general opinion of the gospel minister in this day in which I live, that the majority of people would say it's a gigantic ripoff. Those guys are just a bunch of lazy bums. I think that's probably what a lot of people would think. But be careful about letting general opinion impact your giving. There is an abuse of the minister in the ministry, but the abuse of the congregation is not providing adequately for his living. And I'm, I'm, I'm honest and I'm happy to say that that's not true in this church. I'm sincere and I mean that. Now the key word in verse 6 is the word share. Look at that. Share all good things with him who teaches. It's the word koinonia really there. 
It's that word, it means fellowship or partnership. And, and it suggests that if a person viewed his giving, his, his contribution, his investment in gospel ministry as being involved in a partnership with the one who teaches, it would greatly impact the way you give. Um, by the way, I've frequently read in Scripture that the pastor, the shepherd, must give careful attention. He must look well to the flock. But I have also observed in Scripture that the flock is to look well to the shepherd. Now look at verse 7. And remember that we're dealing in the context of the harvest law. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The word mock there is, comes from the root word means nose. Don't turn up your nose. Don't sneer. Now I know that this is, this is used. Uh, I've never heard this applied to gospel ministry and our investment in it. That's the way it is in the context. But I have heard it used in a general sense, and it does apply in a general sense, that you can't mock God, you can't turn up your nose at God. But what it says literally is, is that a person cannot turn up his nose with reference, with reference to this application to gospel ministry because God has the final accounting. Let me add something about the giving of money or about asking for it. I think that the way that we ask people to give their money is probably many times not scriptural. It's based either on tradition or upon the way people have abused it. Now let me, let me clarify what I'm saying. Uh, if, you, if you've come to church here more than once, I've preached hundreds of sermons from this pulpit, and I bet you couldn't count on two hands the number of times I've ever preached on money, asking for money. I, I have a lot of reluctance about doing that. And the reason I have a, a reluctance about doing that is because so many people abuse that. And I fear that when I do that, somebody say, oh, well, there's another one of those preachers just asking for money. Let me tell you something. Paul hadn't, didn't have a bit of problem with it. He said, I'm coming to get the offering. You better have it ready when I get there. And he, and he said, I'm expecting you to give out of your poverty. You folks are poor, now you give, and I'm going to come and get a big offering when I get there. Now, I know I've read of Hudson Taylor's life story. George Mueller. George Mueller ran this orphanage for boys, and he handled millions of dollars literally. When he died, he had an estate worth less than $800, and not one time did he ever ask for a penny. And our tradition is, is that, well, you know, you shouldn't have to ask for it. Just pray, and, and God will lay it on their heart to give. But if that's true, then, boy, the Apostle Paul hadn't heard that yet. And what he did, he just stood up and he said this, listen, the law of the harvest is this, that if you invest your money and your energy and your time and your prayers in those who teach Scripture, you're going to reap from that a bountiful harvest to your own life. And if you close your hand and you do not share the things that you have with them, you don't, don't expect God to bless you in return. I mean, just plain and simple. 
And in verse 8, he moves. Remember now, he's talking about the law of the harvest. He moves from ministry to holiness. Strange step, quantum leap, from something as mundane as supporting the, the ministry of those who teach to a holy life. What is holiness? When I was a kid growing up, it was a little white church that met over there by the tracks where everybody on Sunday shouted and rolled around on the floor and had church till 2 o'clock in the morning. I asked my father one day, I said, what is this? You know, what are those people? He said, they're holiness. And that connotation there, that was a kind of a negative connotation to me. Let me tell you something. I have learned that holiness is not an option with God. It's not a little group of people meeting a white church somewhere across the track. It is a demand of God for our life. Holiness is this. Holiness is belonging to God. Word means set apart. Holiness is belonging to God. Secondly, it's becoming like the God to whom you belong. Holiness is belonging to God and becoming like the God to whom you belong. And the apostle says that if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you, you reap a holy life. You become like God. This is the way Tozier puts it. The point is you can't expect a harvest in the field of holiness if you plant in the field of corruption. No amount of praying can convince God to interrupt the law. To sow to the flesh is to pander it. These seeds we sow are our thoughts and deeds. Anytime we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, to nurse a grievance, to entertain an impure fantasy, or to wallow in self-pity, we're sowing to the flesh. And every time we linger in a bad company, company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist, Every time we read pornographic literature, we take a risk which strains our self-control. We're sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they don't reap holiness. What we reap depends on what we sow. Now listen carefully. Holiness is not a gift. I've heard people pray, and I perhaps have prayed it myself, Lord, make us holy people. Cleanse us from sin and make us holy. Wouldn't it be great if at the end of that prayer some little angel would kind of fly down, you know, those little creatures with wings, have little magic wands, you know, and they'd just kind of flutter around away everybody that prayed that, just kind of touch them on the head, and these sparkles would just sparkle out, and all of a sudden we'd just be holy. Holiness is not a gift. Holiness is a product. It is a product. It is the result of how I sow the seeds of my time and how I sow the seeds of my thought and how I sow the seeds of my actions. For if I sow seeds in the flesh, I'm going to reap corruption. It's the law of the harvest. 
And if we sow to the flesh, and later on we come to ourselves and we say, wait a minute, I wish I hadn't have done that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to regret that. I'll not alter the consequence no matter how long I pray. And you say, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure about that. Well, what about David and Bathsheba? For when that finger of conviction was pointed in his face and he came to the realization of what he had done, his bones hurt with conviction and he cried out to God in remorse. Read Psalm 51. And God forgave him, but he suffered the consequences for the rest of his life. Now look at verses 9 and 10. Their encouragement to continue. And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. An encouragement to continue. All of us are tired. I think this country is run by burned out people, tired folks. I know the Christian church is run by people tired. Tired. And if I got up here and told you that I wasn't burned out and tired some of the time, I'd be lying. I talked to one of my preacher friends Friday. He's burned out. He's ready to quit. In fact, he could walk away tonight in his church, and I would not be surprised. Some of us are tired. Some are weary doing good. We're just tired of doing. And I'm tired of meetings and meetings and meetings. I wish I didn't have to go to another one. Why not give in to an exhausted mentality? We're all tired. I mean, it's a good time to preach this after Bible school, I guarantee you. I mean, why not give in to an exhausted mentality? And why not just walk away from this? Because of the law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest is, remember, is that you reap not, after, not when you plant, but after it, we live in the light of the harvest that's yet to come, in the light of the day when we're rewarded. The law of the harvest is that if you plant one more thought, one more seed, you'll reap a hundredfold, so you keep on doing it. And I love that little story, you've heard it before, of that missionary couple who is on that boat coming home after planning their life in the foreign mission field for years. On that same boat was Teddy Roosevelt. And everybody was pandering to him. He was just, they were treating him like, a, like royalty. And when they docked in New York, they had a band there waiting and banners, welcome back Mr. President. He'd been on some game hunt down in Africa. And this little missionary said to his wife, you know, kind of, kind of crushed, kind of hurt. He said, you know, we've been over there serving God for years. Nobody ever pandered us, pandered us. And we come home and there's no band, no banners, no rewards. And she took him by the hand and said, honey, remember, we're not home yet. 
there is the harvest after the planting, a hundredfold. We keep on because that's out there tomorrow. Now there are four simple commands. Let us share. I mean, relax that grip. Quit holding on to that stuff. Let us share. I'm just going to mention them. we're out of here. I told the kids tonight, I said, now, isn't it, isn't it true that if y'all took, if y'all went to 8.30 last Sunday night, can I go to 8.30 tonight? I, I didn't fuss it. And one of them said, well, you need to quit at 7.30 to make up for last Sunday night. <laughs> oh, great. It's great to be respected and admired. I'm just going to mention these and we're out of here. Let us share. Let us sow in the Spirit. Oh, man. Let us sow in the Spirit. Invest as much time and energy in the Spirit as in this junk. Let us not lose heart. Let us do good. Did you see that word? Circle it. Let us do good to all men. All men. Even those those you can't stand. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. A number of years ago, a guy asked me if I wanted to go hear R.G. Lee. Never heard of R.G. Lee. I was preaching in a little old church right out of college. He said, well, R.G. Lee is this great preacher. He said he's going to preach a sermon, Payday Sunday. So I went with him down to San Angelo, Texas. It was the First Baptist Church in San Angelo, Texas. And R.G. Lee preached that famous sermon, Payday Sunday. It was the 1,000th time he preached that. Can you believe that? Same sermon he preached a thousand times. You think you've heard them all. I mean, what if you'd have heard that many? He preached payday someday. A thousand, the thousandth time was the night I heard him preach. It's the story of Jezebel and Ahab. And the story is that this woman paid a tremendous price because of her sin against God and God's man. I'm not here to tell you about payday someday that way. I want to go about it in a positive way. That if you invest your life in the teaching of God's Word and in those who do it, and you sow seeds of holiness, you're going to reap a harvest of joy and of life. And there is a payday someday. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the encouragement of this word, the blessing of this worship, the teaching of this text. Now we pray for a human response to a divine command in Jesus' name. Now there might be some tonight who would like to give their heart and life to Christ. You've seen six children tonight. You have seen six children baptized. What those children are doing is investing their life in Jesus Christ. They decided to follow Christ, trust Him with what they understood about Him. They committed their life to that. We want you to do the same. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, you've never put your trust on Him, count on Him, 
Maybe you want to join our church. God is leading you to join a church. And this is the one He's led you to join. Or maybe to say, you know, I haven't been planting in the right field. I want to commit sowing the seed of holiness. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.